Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, thank you for joining me today. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and this is Conversations with Cynthia. So we are doing a week on actually helping the ones you love. So I'm always thankful when you join me and take time to be with me. So we left off really last, uh, the last couple days explaining the story of the Good Samaritan. And what did the Good Samaritan do? When Jesus was talking to the scholar that was pretty arrogant and trying to be, you know, smarter than Jesus, he gave this story. And at the end of the story, he said, so really, who was the good neighbor? And the scholar said, the one that was caring, the one that that went back, the one that took care of the poor soul on the side of the street. And he said, and so Jesus said, so go be that Samaritan. That's the good neighbor. And so what did we know about the good Samaritan? What did he do that was so incredibly healthy? Well, the first thing he did, he noticed. He noticed that the harm, the hurt, the struggle of this poor guy on the side of the street, where the other people just kept walking by and pretended to not notice. So he noticed, but then he also stopped. And then he cared. He cared about this poor soul. And then he didn't judge him. And as he did not judge him, he showed value to this man. He didn't even know this man. This man was naked, naked in the middle of the day on the side of the road, beat to a pulp, a bloody pulp. And so this Samaritan came from a sect, a culture that was despised, the despised people at that time. Others ignored and despised him, but he didn't do this to this gentleman on the side of the street. And for all he knew, the gentleman on the side of the street could have been a Jewish scholar. So he also, the Good Samaritan, had realistic expectations on himself and the one who was sick. And then he did a very special thing. He covered him. So what do we know about the heart of Christ? Jesus covers our sins. He doesn't judge us. He values us. He covers us. And so he was a good neighbor. He gave him mercy and he did no harm. And we talked at the very end of the show, the difference between, you know, this Hippocratic oath and and the, the summarization of that oath is do no harm. First, do no harm. So this good Samaritan didn't attempt to be a doctor. He just did what he could do. He didn't do anything more than what he could do. And what he had, he gave. So we also know he had really good boundaries. And we talked a lot about boundaries yesterday. He made sure that he did not exceed his own capacity. So he did no harm, and he knew what he was capable of doing. He covered him. He picked him up, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, paid the innkeeper two days' wages for the, for the, the room. And he said, 
And when I come back, if there's another bill on my way back, I'll, I'll take care of that too. So he didn't stay. He didn't let this, this poor soul's injuries and, and mishap hijack his whole entire life. He did what he could do. He, had, he knew he had enough time to take him to an inn, set him up, hang out for about a day or two, and then he left. And he went back and did his life. And he said, and you know, I come back here on my way in, you know, for business. So the next time I come, he didn't even say when that would be. So we talked a lot about boundaries and when you know that your boundaries are weak. And we did this beautiful verse that we left off with it that I love. It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And this is out of the Message Bible. And it says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, this is, this is, this is what Jesus is saying when he says, I come into your life and I help you do your life, and I will enable you to do the things that I have called you to do, not the things that you may think are good endeavors. When we are close to the heart of Christ, we hear what he asks us to do, just like the Good Samaritan. So when we exceed our capacity and our boundaries get weak and we start to be weary in well-doing, that's when we go and Jesus says, are you tired, are you worn out, are you burned out on religion? Have you, start, have, have, have you believed in religion and good works and stopped believing in me? Then come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Because when we have poor boundaries, we lose our life. So let's look at another verse that tells us about how to actually help the ones we love so that our lives are not destroyed. And this is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 from the New International Version. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all ways, submit to him. He will make your paths straight. So we trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 58, in the New International Version, says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So again, we are not leaning on our own understanding. We are acknowledging the Lord. We are submitting to his ways. We are recognizing that when God asks us to help others, he says, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. So when we've exceeded capacity, the burden becomes very heavy. And so we stand firm. We let nothing move us. That means no matter how much the person we're trying to help is compelling us to exceed capacity, do things that we really don't have time for, give money we don't have, worry. See, this is where God says, let nothing move you. I will instruct you as to help this person. 
So what are you responsible for when it comes to being a really good caregiver, a really good helper, a really good friend, a good support? Well, mercy and grace is very important versus healing and happiness. Because a lot of times when we are wanting to help someone, we are seeking our own happiness. We just want things to be okay because we can't take it. And we have to really submit to the Lord and recognize that he's got a work he's doing in that person. And that's why we have good boundaries, that we become what we call compassionate witnesses. We're witnessing their life. We're not living their life. And so mercy and grace is very important because mercy, there is a difference. They both come from God. But mercy is when we don't get something we deserve. And grace is something we don't deserve. So I know that sounds a little bit difficult, so I'm going to explain it to you maybe in an analogy. So let's say somebody uh, is caught in something illegal. Um, There's domestic violence. They have a DUI. They um, are going to court because of the embezzled money from their company, whatever it is. Mercy says to the person that's standing in front of the judge. The judge says, I'll have mercy on you. That means I'm not throwing the book at you. And in olden times, that means you're not going to get hanged, right? So this is where this saying says we throw ourselves at the mercy of the courts. And so this is where the judge says to the person with the DUI, he says, okay, you know what? You would have gone to jail right now. You would have walked through these doors and went straight to jail. But I'm going to now give you mercy And now you're going to have a period of grace. So mercy says you deserve to go to jail right now. Grace says I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. I'm going to give you 90 days. You go to 90 meetings in 90 days. You get a sponsor. You come back in 90 days. You show me that you're sober. You show me all the the UIs that you've done. You show me that you have gone to all those meetings in 90 days, and we will reevaluate whether or not you have to go to jail. So when we are extending mercy and grace, we need to understand what we're doing. And that when we extend mercy and grace, there's no guarantee that the person's going to change. So this is why we lean on the understanding of the Lord as to how to know when we give mercy, when we give grace, and when either of those end. So remember, it's not about a feeling. It's not the I should. It's about you and self-care. Because If we don't care for ourselves, how can we care for others? And and a perfect example is my job. If I don't take care of myself, then what happens to all of my own patients? What, are they going to go find another therapist that same day? They're in the middle of a treatment program. And so if I don't take care of me, how can I care for them? It's that same analogy of, you know, being in an airplane and the airplane's going to go down and the, the face masks drop. And, you know, everyone thinks, oh, my gosh, I have to put it on the weakest person, the child, the infirmed. No, we put it on ourselves first so that we have enough oxygen to actually help the person that can't help themselves. So how involved should we actually be? And when we're talking about responsibility... We have to assess whoever it is that we are caring for. We assess their age, their degree of disability. Is there a guardianship issue? Is there a power of attorney issue? 
Or is this more of a compassionate witness issue that I just have really good boundaries while I do my life and pray for them and support them up to my own level of capacity emotionally? If I am going to do anything financially, I better have a plan. And I better do it very prayerfully. And I better get some consultation from some other professionals as to how financially involved I'm going to be with someone. And so we want to think about, is there recommendations of treatment providers? We have to assess the degree to which your health might be compromised. And we seek the Lord's wisdom. And how educated do you actually have to be? Well, you don't need to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a therapist. And if you are any of those, you wouldn't be treating your friends and family anyways. So we have to be educated enough to care well and have realistic expectations. So we assess the level of dependency. How dependent am I going to allow this person to be on me? And that has everything to do with the degree of debilitation and the age. And we look at treatment options, especially if you're paying. And we make sure that we manage caregiver and compassion fatigue, which means you may want to be a part of a support group for people that have loved ones that are struggling ill, struggling with addictions, mental illness, have debilitating terminal disease, whatever that may be. Because that's a huge piece that happens is the exhaustion of continuing to care when it seems like nothing's getting better. Or when we do really well for a while and then the person relapses. And then we have to make sure that we're educated on the grief and loss process. And that I am appropriately doing the grief and loss process in regards to this person that I'm caring for. Because generally what happens is many times we, you know, the first stages of grief and loss is shock and denial. Well, many times people stay in denial for 20 years. You know, the adult that's in complete denial of their adult child's addiction and continues to let them live at home, not work. They, spe they spend all their parents' money. Their parents continue to give them money. They pay for their health care. Their, their financial stability is ebbing and they continue to give money to this adult child. They're in complete denial as to how serious the addiction is. Then we go into bargaining, right? And bargaining is the coulda, shoulda, woulda, if only then. And many times, if we're adults and these are adult children, or if this is a spouse, or whatever, that, whatever the situation may be, we want to probably do some bargaining. And we start going, oh, if I should have I done this, I could have done this, why didn't we do this? Oh, my goodness. And we go through the, if I would have done this, then that wouldn't have happened. It's all so that we don't have to deal with the truth about the condition. Once we get out of bargaining, we're probably going to get really angry. Because it's something that shouldn't be. And it's something that we shouldn't have to deal with. And so we get really angry either at ourselves at maybe people that have nothing to do with anything. Many times we get really mad at doctors, police, and lawyers who are just doing their job, or therapists that we think aren't doing their job. Maybe we get mad at, at the other adult children. Maybe we get mad at our spouse. Maybe we get really mad at God. And then when we're done, maybe with anger, we get too tired to be angry. We go into a lot of sadness and mourning. And if we're not careful, this can lead to its own depression. 
And what you'll see is in this grief and loss process, we will recycle through a lot of these. So we may get sad, and then we get tired of being sad, so we go back to being mad because anger at least has some energy. And then we start bargaining again. And then we might go even back into denial. Hey, I think they're doing pretty good. Maybe it's all over. Maybe it's okay. Before we ever get really to the acceptance piece, which is also forgiveness. That we forgive them because they really know not what they do. At one level they do, of course. But at a whole nother level, they are in their own denial. And they may have no idea how people are really experiencing them or the destruction that's occurring. And so there's a huge forgiveness piece of forgiving ourselves if we think we failed, forgiving the person that's struggling. Say you had a loved one that was hit by someone that that was drunk and you're having to forgive that person. What if you did have a doctor that made a mistake and there's irreparable damage. You have to forgive that doctor. What if it's your own parents that did some things to you and you are struggling with some things? Or maybe it's a parent that harmed your children. Maybe it's a spouse that harmed one of your children. So there's forgiveness that needs to happen. And always remember, forgiveness never means it's okay. Because if it was okay, we wouldn't need to forgive it. So forgiveness never takes away the wrong. Forgiveness frees us to really hear from God the direction we are supposed to go and how involved or uninvolved we are to be. So one of the most interesting things to understand is how men and women deal differently with mental health, with a mental health diagnosis, terminal diagnosis, anything that's compromising. And what you will find with women, they internalize and then they externalize. And so there'll be a whole bunch of stuff going on inside and then it will come out. And one of the things that happens to them is they become more fragile, you get increased tears, you get lots of insecurities, a loss of identity, a ruminating. They think and think and think and think, and that's just the way a woman's brain is made. It's hardwired to ruminate. They tend toward negativity, and they really feel a ton of shame. So if they're a caregiver for someone, this is more what you are going to see. And you're also going to see this if they actually are the one with the disability. With men, they externalize, and then they internalize everything. So they may initially explode, and then they will internalize it from then on. They don't talk about it. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to acknowledge it. And so they are more prone to anger versus sadness. And they have a tendency to minimize and deny a lot, a lot more than women. And when we have men and when we have couples that are helping a child with an addiction, we really see a lot of this. The wife is always upset because she feels like her husband is minimizing and denying and ignoring everything. And for men, they have a confidence loss because they can't fix it. They can't change it. They kind of want to just move away from it, abandon it, deny it, minimize it. 
because it affects their feeling of strength and power and what they feel responsible to make happen for the people they love. They feel like they need to fix everything, solve everything, protect everybody. And so they have a very difficult time with expression. They have a really hard time talking about what it is they really think and how they feel. Because in the process of that, it goes back to, I still want to protect the people I love, so very, they want to be careful what they say. And many times it's going to come out in a way that isn't necessarily what they intended to say. Because they are not at, as good at verbalizing their internal world as women are. And for men, it's fascinating. They really don't see any value in sharing. Because they're, not, they're hardwired to do. Women are hardwired to connect. So when we are sharing with other people, we feel so much better. And men do feel better after they share, but initially they see no point in it at all. Because it also causes them to have to get in touch with the feelings that they've compartmentalized. So if they can move away from the feeling, and they can get focused on their life and just go to work and make money, then if they have to sit down and share, they have to actually get in touch with what's going on about this situation that they have no control over. And so they also have a great degree of shame. And it is just experienced and, and exposed differently. And so what you also see when it comes to this, this difference is that because women have this great sense for security, see, this is a, the, when we look at gender, it's often left out of the equation as to how to help someone. But when you have some insight into how important and impactful healthy and unhealthy relationships are, and how stressed and compromised they become, you begin to see what men in need, what men need and what women need is very different when it comes to either being someone struggling with, a, with an illness or being the caregiver. And so women's needs are more security-based, a sense of belonging. They want to express love and affect change. And their need, great need for being desired. They need to be wanted. So that is some of the strength and some of the weakness that goes into the caregiving issue. Because if they, let's say a mom has a son that's struggling with an addiction. She will never want him to feel like he's not allowed to be home and that she, won't, that she will abandon him because of her need for security. She needs security. She thinks he needs more security just as much as she does. She wants him to have a sense of belonging. She needs to continue to express her love and try to really affect change through her love. And she can't stand being rejected by him. So when you see the difference between what men need, men need respect. So when they have someone that's struggling with a disease and they can't change it, it feels disrespectful because they need to have success. So when you see the difference between men and women and how that is affected if there is a mental illness or if they are a caregiver for a mental illness, because you can see if men are caregiving, how difficult it is for them in a different way than it is for women. So thank you for joining me today. We are going to talk more tomorrow about actually helping the one you love and what that really looks like in terms of what they wish we knew about mental health diseases and diagnoses. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com to hear the shows if you've missed them or want to pass them along. 
and also have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. God bless you. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.